You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Octavio Fernandez Mostajo, as you well know. And my name is still Claire Perini. Still Claire Lisa Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. Um, uh, today, uh, we invite you to listen into a conversation around uh, theology and the arts, um, but in particular mm-hmm. around music and um, kind of uh, some of the, the various, just uh, like all sorts of things around uh, music and theology and how uh, Dr. Jeremy Begbie thinks about that. So if you uh-huh. haven't come across Jeremy Begbie, uh, he is a really a theological giant when it comes to this integration yeah. and this understanding of theology and the arts. He's the Thomas A. Langford Research Professor at Duke Divinity School, and he was a previously the Associate Pr- Principal of Ridley Hall in Cambridge. Um, and he's the author of, uh, of a few diff- lots of different things, but a couple of books called Music in God's Purposes, Voicing Creation's Praise Toward a Theology mm-hmm. of the Arts, and another book called Theology, Music and Time. Um, so, Octavia, what do we talk about? What else do we talk about? I mean, this is not just, you know, your regular, regular music theology guy. This is freaking Dr. Jeremy Begbie. If, you, if you've done anything uh, concerning theology and the arts, you always read uh, Begbie, Jeremy Begbie. At least three to five books, at least so for me, it's been it's been a, a privilege uh, talking to him. When I invite uh, invited uh, Begbie to the to the podcast, and he said yes, I was like, "What? Begbie agreed to talk to us?" I, I was ecstatic because I respect uh, Doctor Begbie so so much. He's so thoughtful, uh, like talking about music and talking about theology and, and the integration of both. He's, he's so so thoughtful. I guess he's been doing this for more than 30 years. So he's been there when, you know, a lot of these writings were lacking and now more people are writing about it. So he's he's seen the growth in the development of of this conversation and integration. So it's it's been a it's been an, ama- an amazing uh, uh, talk, not only about music and theology, but about the arts and theology. It's been so this is the conversation about the, uh, the integration of the arts and theology. I know I'm way too excited, but it, it's just, it, is, it is what it is. I'm freaking excited. <laughs> Enjoy. Jeremy, welcome to the Regent College podcast. Thank you very much indeed. It's a pleasure to be here. Jeremy, it's a privilege to have you here. It is indeed. Um, one of the things we thought we'd start with, which we haven't warned you about, is um, a series of rapid-fire questions, okay? And you can't overthink these. You've just got to just kind of whatever you think, whatever your gut response is, okay? It's a series of either-or kind of yeah. questions, okay? Fine. Okay. Mozart or Beethoven? Beethoven. Vivaldi or Tchaikovsky? Tchaikovsky. The Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Beatles. Elvis mm. Presley or the Beach Boys? El Presley. Bethel or Hillsong? Hillsong, I think, yeah. <laughs> Picasso okay. or Van Gogh? Oh, Van Gogh. Well, actually, Talking Van Gogh. No, Lewis. Van Gogh. Van, Van Gogh, sorry. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I used course. to say Van Gogh and then came to North America and then I started saying Van Gogh. I should be saying exactly. Van Gogh. It's very confusing. Okay. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis? Lewis. U2 or Queen? U2. Uh, Tupac or Biggie? 
Tupac. Yeah, <laughs> you know Tupac. I like it. James Brown or Michael Jackson? Brown. Oh. James Good. Brown over Michael Jackson. And we will have to talk about that later. Was obsessed with Michael Jackson. Yeah. That's great. Thanks. That gives yeah. us a, this gives us a good, you know, very black and white, non-nuanced, you know, picture of come some of your preferences. Thanks. No problem. Yeah, yeah, no. Was, let, let's let's begin with the serious stuff here. Uh, so you you actually mentioned that when you were studying in Aberdeen, there was little written about integration of the arts with vibrant theology, as as you call it. What was missing then in terms of? understanding in this regard and, and and let us know when you were studying at Aberdeen what year was it and how young were you <laughs> I won't tell you my age <laughs> but I was uh, after leaving high school I went to Edinburgh and studied philosophy then I went and music and then on to Aberdeen to study theology Mm-hmm. Um, and really during that time I, I did very little but, but theology although I was a musician and I'd recently become a Christian um, uh, theology was my focus and at that time there was yeah very little actually that would help me think Christianly about the arts and music in mm-hmm. particular The there were some exceptions uh, Hans Ruckmarker's great book um, on modern art that was I was uh, that was given to me very early on. There were one or two pamphlets by Francis Schaeffer and others, um, mm. but that was about it. And of music, nothing in particular. There were though quite a few in what you might call a kind of liberal Protestant tradition, particularly looking to Paul Tillich and others, who had written some things. And I read quite a bit of that, mm-hmm. but what was missing uh, was anything that seemed to take scripture really seriously and and christian doctrine really seriously mm-hmm. and uh, bring that glorious world together mm-hmm. with the practices of the arts and in my case music that i'd known so well so i think that's what was missing it was taking the the rich tradition of the church and its scriptures mm-hmm. very seriously and entering into depth with them um uh, I, there was very little about that in relation to the arts, and that surprised me because that's that's a theology I love. But I suddenly yeah. thought, well, gosh, am I going to have to make all the connections? Then in 1980 came Waldersdorf's Art in Action, and uh, Calvin Seervelt wrote a book around there called Rainbows for a Fallen World, and and then uh, the the field started expanding, and a lot more got written. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and when you were doing that, did you feel that you were you know rediscovering the gunpowder in the sense in the sense of did you find uh theological reflection on the arts in the christian tradition like before let's say 1700s 1500s in 500s did you find anything written by i mean about the arts and theology do you mean in the pre-modern era did i find anything yeah exactly yeah that's what i meant yeah yeah um uh, again, very little. Of course, the reformers. I mean, Calvin had said a bit, and Luther had said a lot about music. So yes, I knew about those things. There was, but there was very little in the contemporary in contemporary mm. theology or contemporary Christian thought. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we've got to remember this, that um, what we now call the arts or the fine arts or whatever is kind of a relatively recent. Uh, grouping yeah, that we now call the arts. So perhaps that's not entirely surprising. Yes, so I, there were bits and pieces from, of course, some of the greats and Augustine, of course, um, earlier mm-hmm. on, but there was very little in modern theology to help me. 
apparently. Mm-hmm. And so you were saying that then kind of the, the kind of world sort of started to expand and there was a few more people writing. What Do you feel like there – are there things still missing? Do you feel like we're sort of capturing things – you know, I mean there's always things to discover and learn, but what, what do you feel maybe is still missing or what is still missing? Yeah. Well – That would be like 30 years after, right, more or less? Yes, that's right. It is. I mean I'm extremely old now. Um, <laughs> what's still missing? I think it's actually – it's still that close engagement with the sheer strangeness of Scripture, its, its oddity, its um, peculiarity, <laughs> centering it as it does around a crucifixion and a resurrection. Mm. The, the sheer, um, well, you use the metaphor of gunpowder, I mean, the kind of explosive mm. message of mm. Scripture. It's... Um, mm. well, that I think is still missing, and of course, one of the great, one of well, not entirely, of course, um, but one of the great moves I think in in theology has been sometimes called the theological interpretation of scripture or the development of the biblical theology movement. So people like Richard Borkham and Richard mm-hmm. Hayes, Tom Wright, of course, lots of others, who really take theological questions seriously, but really take the scriptural text seriously. That is it's just been an explosion mm-hmm. of wonderfully informative and rich literature there that hasn't really been taken into the arts at all, as far as I can tell. What people naturally go to today much more quickly are people like von Balthasar, which is fine, um, Mm -hmm. and indeed actually many more Catholic traditions and Protestant ones. Um, Mm -hmm. But but I think that's that's okay, but I think we a, a kind of immersion in the in the extraordinarily um, yeah, well, obviously, life-changing, mm-hmm. revolutionary character of the scriptural texts themselves. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's what I think. Um, I remember when um, uh, Rowan Williams came once to the seminary where I was training, and we asked him, "What would you like our students to know?" And they said, uh, I, "And he said, I'd like them to know about." I would like them to sense, this is how he put it, I would like them to sense the pressure out of which Christianity burst. Mm. That's a very good way of putting it. So scripture had to be written under this irrepressible dynamism, volcanic um, eruption indeed, Mm. in the midst of the Roman Empire. Um, And I I just wish we could spend more time looking at the text that came out of that and and Uh immersing ourselves in those. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's really... Yeah, I do have a question. Uh, Sometimes when when people, you know, use the arts in order to teach, you know, doctrine and to teach the Bible, it's it's very, you know, instrumental and and maybe it's utilitarian, right? And I think the way the arts... uh, help us you know get a grasp of the world it's different but when people say you know the integration of 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 uh, theology and bible and the arts they they tend to tend to think okay you're going to use the arts to teach right to you're going to use logic and try to teach the arts so what 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 is the difference between learning you know you know, you know what i'm trying to ask you know how, how do we absolutely learn through the arts in are you is it teaching is it how how is the art going to help us understand theology and yeah? I think I fully take this point. This is what people are very often frightened of if you talk about the arts and theology, 
that, as you say, it's a kind of utilitarianism or, or a, mm-hmm. uh, instrumentalism, perhaps is a better word, um, where the arts become no more than, or treated as no more than vehicles for a message. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah, indication exactly. being, once you've got the message, you can dump the vehicle. Uh, so it's kind of colorful wrapping. Yeah, <laughs> true. Mm. It's colorful wrapping for something, uh, but once you've, once you've got the thing, the present, yeah. you need the wrapping. Uh, no, that that is quite wrong. I'm sometimes accused myself of, of believing that, which I never have, and I've consistently opposed it. I do mm. believe, I do mm. believe that the arts can serve the um, uh, can serve education and doctrine. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But they right. do so by helping us reimagine the world by mm-hmm. taking by by giving us a chance to re-envisage things, to re-see things, to reconceive things. And you can only get that reconception by entering the art itself. It's not merely a vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's affecting the way you're receiving the message. Mm-hmm. So content uh-huh. and form go together uh, mm-hmm. in the arts. They're, they're, they're inseparable on that. But no, poetry is not going to teach you in the way that a proposition will teach you. Mm-hmm. It, a, poet, a poet takes you into her world and makes you see the gospel in and through that medium, and the medium is part mm-hmm. of the message. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah. that's the critical difference. You can't, um, I mean, it was said, Schumann once played a piece on the piano, and he got to the end and someone said, oh, but what does it mean? And he went back to the piano and played it again. <laughs> puts it kind of well that doesn't mean you can't say yeah. anything about what it means but it means ultimately you've got to hear it again yeah mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. how the arts work as well so the arts yeah. can serve of course the gospel and serve education in the gospel but they must do so in their own ways and in yeah. their yeah. own singular yes. kind of distinctive ways and that that needs to be respected yeah when people are frightened you know the kind of yeah. instrumentalism when people are kicking against that what they're kicking against is um the way in which we can easily ignore the integrity of an art form the distinctive way it works Mm -hmm. and we we tend to treat it like a proposition in disguise now Mm -hmm. a a painting Mm -hmm. isn't a proposition in disguise it works in a different way and you Mm -hmm. need to respect that that's the critical yeah Yeah. and artists get very anxious of that they're just seen as kind of didactic tools yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I remember I took a, a class with Malcolm Guide. You know Michael, M- Malcolm yeah, Guide, really right? Well, I used to teach. He was one of my students years ago. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because people love Malcolm Guide at Regent. Of course they do. He's made for, he's made for Regent. <laughs> he is. I actually, I would like just <laughs> yeah. a little bit of credit for that and possibly some money as okay, well. <laughs> I said, I Malcolm, you've got to go to Regent. You've got, it is the place. So I'm glad he's hey, known that. We'll make sure that you get more credit than you've got there, Jeremy. We'll leave From it with us. We'll, we'll give it a yeah, try. That's... He's a bit like a hobbit, isn't he? I mean, what's got to be honest? Like a <laughs> hobbit? <laughs> <laughs> he totally is. <laughs> well, like, when I took his class, it went, it was a, a total diff, like totally different experience than, than I ever had at Regent. Because when I, you know, he made me feel... And when you know when I when I would go back, you know, because my wife was okay. You you, you took a, 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 your first class with the poet at Regent. How how was it? And I was like, it was great. I couldn't remember what he said in the sense of he, he wouldn't use you point one, point two, point three, and you know, and use use the, the logic bend to think. 
it was he was you know transmitting you know he, he took it like you were saying into his world of poetry and he, and he would read poems and understanding even with Dante and the whole thing and of course there was there was a transformation on on what you were saying uh, you know the way I read the scripture and I see the world and and I understand was it did he took a logical route or oh, heck no could I yeah. explain what happened in that class heck no did I did I somehow come a little different from that class yes could I explain how nope no yeah. that says it I mean that it's someone like Malcolm will take you into the poetic world so that you do learn you are educated you do change and mm. he would say you perceive the gospel in a new way but you perceive it uh, with the whole yeah, of yourself exactly. you feel it you you sense it um, mm -hmm. so that when you come away you mm -hmm. can't reduce that in a few simple sentences or take away points it's not the way that it works um, but yet you've been yeah. changed you've been changed in the process you've been radically changed in yeah. the process yeah now Malcolm yeah. he's a, he's in, a genius example, in, in that yeah. he's a genius in that and what I especially yeah. appreciate about Malcolm too is what it, theologically or in terms of just kind of um, Christian belief he's about as orthodox as it's possible to believe He believes in the creeds. He believes in the prayer book. Mm -hmm. He believes mm -hmm. in words that, mm -hmm. as it were, directly tell and proclaim the gospel. Of course he does. Um, but he yeah. believes that the arts give us access to that very, to those very realities that the words are speaking about mm -hmm. and the very realities in which those yeah. words are caught up. And, uh, and that's what he exemplifies. And mm -hmm. right when he teaches, it's the very yeah. way he teaches is part of the message. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you're talking about uh, this really complicated uh, topics like evil and pain in the world and trying to, you know, do a, do a logical defense, you can only get, you know, to some point. But somehow, if you, I think if you use the arts, it would make you understand, you know, pain and evil and God and theology and theodicy in a different way than, you know, is XYZ equals, equals whatever, being too logical. I, I don't think it's even possible. But through the arts, if you understand pain in the world and evil in the world in a different way, and I, and I think that would somehow should be the approach, not the only one, but may, maybe the main approach, right? I, I think that what you're saying there, Octavia, I think is that the arts are genuine media of knowledge, that of mm. knowing the world, of being aware of or the gospel, mm -hmm. or of another person, or whatever it is you're, you're knowing. Um, but it's not the kind of knowledge that you have of, um, you know, a, uh, a mathematical equation or, or yeah. something on a slide or under a microscope. It's not that kind of knowledge, but it's nonetheless genuine. It's as genuine as the way I know another person. It's as genuine mm. Um, mm. as I know that I'm loved. <laughs> It's mm -hmm. it's all those things, mm -hmm. and that the, and we yeah. must take the arts are not just about subjectivity and emotion and inner inner stuff. Uh, yeah, they are sure. genuine mode of knowing what is other than us, and and yeah. always happy and always happy. They're a way of coming to terms with the world yeah. beyond us. Um, but I agree to, to reduce all that to kind of logical propositions or something that that's never going to work. And when it comes to mm -hmm. something like evil. The, the problem with evil, huh, the problem, the problem with evil is that the more you try to understand it logically, the more intractable it is. Mm. That's why it's evil. Evil doesn't make sense. That's the point. Uh, 
So what are you going to, you're going to have to, as it were, approach evil with tools that won't wrap it up, so to speak, yeah. and won't mm. make it sound tidy and balanced and mm. full of sense, because it's not. And that's where the arts, I think, come into their yeah. own. They can leave you with its, mm-hmm. its um, bizarreness, yeah. It's utter strangeness and leave you there. Mm-hmm. As the as the Psalms yeah. do, of course, as Job does. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. all over scripture yeah. is doing that. But they'll very often do it through an artistic yeah. form because they're try- they're saying, look, if we c- this is not something we can grasp. We can grasp with a simple statement or proposition. Yeah. It's not going to work like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of things that are hard to sort of wrap up and totally understand with the human mind, the Trinity is one theological kind of um, kind of you know concept that is that is difficult for us to understand um, and and you talk about I've seen you do this actually this kind of how music kind of helps us um, sort of not wrap our heads around you know kind of know in this way that you're talking about this different kind of knowing can you talk to us a little bit about that and music and the Trinity and how you see sure how they help and inform each other well for for um, golly, getting on twenty or thirty years, I taught at Cambridge, and I, I taught um, doctrine basically every week, mm. um, mm-hmm. and I taught Trinitarian doctrine, and I increasingly came to the conviction that a lot of the problems that the church has had with the doctrine of the Trinity, is that it has over relied on the eye, and visual ways of thinking. And uh, in saying this, I am not against visual art or visual artists. I have to say this very strongly because mm. I always get visual artists complaining afterwards. It's, this is not an attack on the eye. It is to say that, that our visual way of perceiving the world is only one way and it has its limitations. Mm. And the limitations, yeah. I think, are fairly obvious if you think about it because if, I, if I'm a painter and I put a red patch on a canvas and then I put yellow paint on, on the same patch, the yellow will hide the red, or it could mm-hmm. be the other way around, red hides the yellow, and if the paint is wet, then it turns into orange. The point being, you can't see red and yellow in the same space at the same time as mm-hmm. red and yellow. They'll either hide each other or they'll merge mm-hmm. in, into something else. That's, and that's because the objects in our visual field occupy a bounded space, uh, or a bounded place, perhaps, is a better word. It has edges to it. Uh, that lamp I'm looking at over there or that chair. It has edges. The chair is there. It's not somewhere else. It's a bounded Mm -hmm. object. And I can't have two of those chairs in the same place at the same time, recognisable as two chairs. Obvious. But in the world of sound, of course, it's not like that at all, that uh, uh, if I play a note on a piano, what I hear will fill the whole of my heard space. It's The note doesn't fill a bit of my heard space and leave the other bit empty. It mm-hmm. fills the whole thing, the space mm-hmm. that I hear. Not the space I mm-hmm. see, but the space I hear. But if I play another note alongside that note, that second note fills the same heard space. Yet mm-hmm. I hear it as distinct. So in the world as we hear it, our oral perception, in the world as we hear it, two things can be in the same space at the same time and recognisable mm-hmm. as two. Now, if you take mm-hmm. a third, of course, a third, a th- another note, it's the same with that note. It fills the same space, yet we hear it as distinct. And those three, they don't merge into one. That's just what they don't do into one mm-hmm. note. Nor, of course, are they like three objects in space. 
Um, now, if we go back to the Trinity, you can see how, how extraordinary that is. If you go to the New yeah. Testament and in John's mm-hmm. Gospel, the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father. How on earth are we going to visualize that? It's very hard, mm-hmm. very hard to get your head around that. But if you think musically in terms of sound, that's exactly what two notes do when we hear them mm-hmm. in our oral perception. They are inside each other and yet distinct. What's more, if they resonate with each other, they, as it were, set each other off. I mean, there's a, there's a, a mutual resonance going on there as well, which is especially appropriate. And then, of course, you bring the Holy Spirit in. It's, it's the same thing. And, yeah. and I, I was just convinced that um, a huge amount of Trinitarian, the struggles of a Trinitarian doctrine, have been trying to think about how does oneness and threeness, how do they go together? Mm-hmm. And if you think with the eye alone, it's very hard. Yeah. As the history mm-hmm. of Trinitarian theology shows, you'll, you'll collapse yeah. everything into Unitarianism or you'll split into tritheism. But yeah. the three-note chord, it, it all becomes rather different. And as I think mm-hmm. you said earlier, um, as I think you were saying, Claire, the suggestion is here, it's not just an illustration in the sense of a handy tool to help you rethink things. This is mm-hmm. an experience. Mm-hmm. It's an embodied experience. It's not an, just an idea. We all know what it's mm-hmm. like to hear a three-note chord. We all, you know, we've got a guitar in the corner of the room we haven't played for five, ten years. You can go and play three notes. It's and we, and we're surrounded by music that's doing this all the time. So mm-hmm. we're talking about a common experience that is, as it were, mm-hmm. just squatting there <laughs> uh, <laughs> as a kind of sonic parable of Trinitarian space. And then you can, you can spill it out even further, of course, as far as the church is concerned. How are we going to think of the church as one and diverse at the mm-hmm. same time? Mm-hmm. How are we going to think about mutual resonance, mutual love, enabling each other to be more fully the people we are mm-hmm. created to be? You see how it all begins to spill out. These, it's, a, it's a very sonic, yeah. naturally sonic way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I say, there are yeah. many things you can do with the eye that you can't do with the ear. This is not anti-visual art. Right. And yeah, I think yeah, there's yeah. some visual representation of the Trinity that are wonderful. I'm mm-hmm. not denying that. Um, but you can see what I'm getting at. So and yes. I think that's what I learned in teaching doctrine, yeah. that because I was a musician, I was thinking in musical ways. Yeah. And I was imagining the world, and you could say hearing it, in musical ways. Mm. And. And I had mm-hmm. to bring that into my teaching, into my theological mm-hmm. teaching, yeah. uh, with, without apology. Yeah. And I found generally, if I do that, without saying, you know, here is a, a here is an illustration, and we will do something a little bit exotic, but you just naturally put it into the conversation, or there's a piano there, or you can play some music. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Um, um, how is it? I was speaking at an Oxford conference once with some very distinguished philosophers of science. And, and one of them came up to her and said, the scales have fallen off my eyes. <laughs> or ears. Um, yeah. and, you totally get that feeling for sure. I thought that was actually very, you know, humble of him to say that. Um, yeah. There we are. If you were, um, if you were given permission by some, some music leaders or music pastors, worship pastors, whatever, whatever you would call them, uh, to teach their musicians one class on music, what would you teach them? Now, this would be church musicians. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Like the the worship the worship team. If you would have what like thirty minutes with them, just the one time, once, what would you tell them? I would need to find out who they were, what kind of music they were playing, you know, find out about their experience and, and what's 
what they bring to the table, as it were. But I right. think uh-huh. um, a number of things I'd, I'd want to do. I'd want to. I'd want to encourage them to see that over the history of music, um, composers and musicians have shown us music can do an incredible variety of things. Not least in the emotional sphere. It can cover, so to speak, a massive emotional spectrum. Mm. And my problem Mm. with a lot of church music, and I've been involved in that for 30 years, whatever, so I'm speaking to myself as well, and I don't just mean so-called contemporary worship, it could be almost any style, is that we narrow our options right down to one or two moods or one or two styles, perhaps three or four if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. And then you compare that with the richness of the gospel or the richness of scripture, and you look at just on the emotional level alone what it's covering. Mm -hmm. And so I'd want to encourage them to see that music can do far more than most of us imagine. Mm -hmm. One of the ways I would encourage them to see that is actually to learn from film composers. I think they're, Mm. I think I would take every worship leader to meet a film composer by the chance. Because, you know, it's sometimes said, oh, congregations can only cope with so much kind of sophisticated music. You're just an elitist Uh or whatever. Um, So we just have simple songs here. Uh uh. Think about film music and how sophisticated it is, and millions and millions get the point without any uh-huh. any elite musical training. But great film composers mm-hmm. know how the slight tiny changes in volume, in chord structure, in rhythm, and meter, or whatever, you know, the tiniest changes can have the massive, massive um, uh-huh. effect and enable you to participate in the drama of the film much more yeah. fully. In the same way in worship, different types of music can enable us to participate in the drama of the gospel story in worship much more fully than I think we're doing at the moment, generally, in Mm. most churches, where things Mm. tend to be very, very narrow. So uh, that's, I think, that's one of the things I'd be doing. I think the other other big thing that I want to encourage everyone to realize that the bottom line, the really important questions to be asking in uh, in worship music are theological. They're not mm. psychological, sociological, or they're not about preference primarily, although we've got to take all that into account. Mm. At the bottom line, they ought to be theological. What is this music doing with regard to the gospel? What's it saying about God? What is the way th- that we're singing it? What, what does that say about our belief, about the nature mm. of the church? about mm. who Jesus is. If this music is a constant turn-off to 90% of the congregation, <laughs> what are we saying about God? Not just mm. about people, what are we saying about the gospel? If none of this music meets people where they are, what are we saying about Jesus and his humanity? Mm-hmm. You see, is this mm. just another kind of docetic Christ or a Christ who's merely the object of worship rather than the one who worships with us, High mm-hmm. Priesthood of Christ and all that Hebrews. So you see the point that I'm making. So that if we, mm. can, if we can encourage musicians, jobbing musicians on the ground to be asking theological, Christian, biblical questions throughout, then I think we'd, mm-hmm. we'd see some, some great changes. The trouble is most leaders teach musicians as no more than technicians, you know, mm. very clever people who can do clever things rather than thinking yeah. Christians. Which they ought, yeah. which they ought to be, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's crazy because when when a lot of people, you know, complain that about the content of the songs they sing, they're talking about okay, we need more atonement here. We need more to talk about more more of the Holy Spirit. We need to talk more about you know pain and revelation. But it, it's more of what are the lyrics saying. But it's it's not they're not you know actually complaining about how the music and the words and you know we're talking about 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 a pain or about the Holy Spirit. What's the music do? It, it, they don't. They could care less about what you're saying. The package, right? It's all always about. Yeah, we need more like topics. Topic is what we care about, right? So, but what I lo- I love how you put it though. I love how how you put it. Well, it's, I think I mean you've you've put your finger right on again. One of my Bugbears, the paradox is that most people remember hymns and songs much more for their tunes than they will for the words. Mm. Very often, very often, not always, mm-hmm. but that's very common. Um, I do believe in, in good lyrics, my goodness, yes. And we have some great songwriters at the moment and hymn writers mm-hmm. as well. I'm a trustee of a, an organization here in the UK, uh, which is encouraging um, particularly young songwriters and hymn writers um, to produce you know, good and solid material, particularly as far as the lyrics are concerned. But you're absolutely right, Octavio. The, d- the danger is then you think, oh, well, once we've got the words right, the, r- the music will just take care of itself. Uh-uh. Right. Doesn't often, sometimes yeah. it just doesn't work like that. I was in, in my own church only, oh, it was about a year ago, and I remember we were singing a psalm, and the, it was one of the, it was incredibly rough protest psalm. I mean, really... Mm-hmm. L- laying it before God in all its rawness, you know, mm-hmm. life in all its rawness. The music was anodyne, bland, utterly regular, um, mm-hmm. and actually I couldn't sing it in the end. And the choir were mm-hmm. a little bit, I was, uh, they were a little bit upset with me because I, I seemed to be angry uh, that this was going on. I can cope with so much. You see, it wasn't so much that the music was bad, it was just totally inappropriate. For yeah, these words, totally match. inappropriate mm. for these words, and was smothering in, them in niceness, and that's a that's a kind of well, it's just deeply dis- disrespectful, obviously, to the words themselves, bordering on blasphemous, I think. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry for interrupting your podcast, but Claire Perini has something really, really important that she wants to share with you. For the last number of weeks and months, you will have had a little interruption from Octavio and I with me trying to say rgnt.net forward slash give. And the reason for that is um, that we love hearing from people who are enjoying and appreciating the podcast. We love hearing that. And we love hearing that you enjoy it so much that you want to give Regent a little bit of a donation to say thanks. And so this is an invitation to continue doing that or to do that for the first time uh, to allow us to continue to keep having these really good conversations with people all over the world about all sorts of things, about the good, beautiful kingdom of God and how it plays itself out in the life of everyday Christians. So if you would like to give a donation to Regent College... To say thanks for the podcast, Octavia and I would be delighted. You can do that at rgnt.net forward slash give. And please, if you'd leave a donation, uh, write in the comment box over there that the podcast sent you. Enjoy Enjoy the the rest rest of of our conversation. conversation. 
So speaking speaking about music in church, and um, you know, we've all got and different preferences that you know often you know there's, that that comes up. Um, when when you start lots of your courses, you say there's one question that people are not allowed to ask, <laughs> and it's do I like it? Do I like the music? Why why don't you let people ask that question? Because I'm a very nasty person. <laughs> uh, why do that? Definitely can't be true. It makes me sound very fierce. Um, but I do actually say that at the beginning. It's at the beginning of a theology and music course that I teach in, in Duke. Why do I say that? Because uh, we're in a culture which very easily thinks that that is the most profound question you can ever ask. <laughs> a culture <laughs> yeah, that right. starts with that question and very often finishes with it. Yeah. Will this music make me feel good? Do I like it? Will it make me feel good? And preferably, will it make me feel good instantly with a minimum of pain <laughs> or struggle, <laughs> not to mention time? So I say, look, that in all the music we're going to look at in this course, and not just worship music, I mean, it's, it's a massive number of styles of music. Um, right. I ask, that, that's not the question. The question is, one, what's going on here? What's going on with this? Mm -hmm. Who's using it? Why are they using it? Where did it come from? How is it structured? What's it doing in this social or cultural context? That's the first question. And with that, mm -hmm. of course, what can we learn theologically from it? Mm -hmm. And then, sure, if you, uh, let's ask whether we like it. And we might then ask, yes, how can we evaluate it? which is different from asking how we like it, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. it's, it's in light of the gospel and in the light of what it's doing here, this music, how are we going to make some, how might we make some evaluative judgments? And I do find mm -hmm. that's a very good discipline. I sometimes fall in, into the trap myself. Though. I mean, halfway through, I'll suddenly play something. I said, isn't this incredible? Don't you just love it? And, <laughs> then, and they go, ha, ha, Dr. Begbie. And I do that. Okay, yeah. sorry, sorry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> No, and, and and it actually sets the stage because we because we all, including myself in that group, we all have to listen to all sorts of music we just wouldn't normally choose. You see, the consumer society doesn't really let us do that. We'll choose what we like and what we like instantly. Mm. But mm -hmm. but but that, of course, is suppose suppose we took that attitude to everything in our lives. You know. Um, mm -hmm. Suppose, suppose we took that attitude to sermons <laughs> or preaching, mm. you know, do I, or, or reading the Bible. Do I like it? No, I'll mm. go to something else. Do I like this passage? No, I'll read the next one. And what an extraordinary yeah. idea, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I, I say, no, what's going on here and what have I to learn theologically? And then mm. I think those yeah. are the kind of great. So it's just a kind of different mindset. Because mm -hmm. in a consumerist culture. Yeah, I, th I think it could be, I don't know, I'm thinking about music as friends. It, it, it does take you a while to say, like, okay, I don't want to be friends with that person. Yes. But it's, it, it normally it's not like, uh, kind of, okay, you have a, you know, you're brown, I don't want to be your friend. You know, kind of instant thing, you know, you meet him, I don't like, I don't like your voice, I'm out. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it I'm happens, not, but it's very interesting. I'm not full to that parallel, but that's, I think... It, a very good parallel. But, yeah, I mean, is, it, is that the most important like, question, like, or is it the question that Christians always should be asking? Is who is this? Mm -hmm. Not what uh -huh. are they, or how can I use them, or do they make me feel good, 
or even do I like them initially? It's who is this? Yeah. And what have I to receive? Mm. And then, yeah. yes, sure, you can begin to ask other questions. So I think that's the that's, – I, I hadn't thought of that parallel before. I think it's exactly right. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of – that sort of receptivity, which is different from saying everything's wonderful or I'm not going to be critical at all. No, no. Yeah. That sort of receptivity is what I've learned most from my – for the great teachers I've had in the past. And you've got mm-hmm. them there at Regent mm-hmm. as well who encourage in students – that curiosity for what for what's going on <laughs> for yeah. for what mm-hmm. this te- yeah. what's happening in this text mm-hmm. or in this historical movement or in this church i mean that's a very yeah. good example do i like this church uh uh-uh. uh what's going on in this church mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. going on here yeah and i feel feel long often says in in kind of old testament scriptures and it's like if i don't if i don't like it or it's uncomfortable don't look away, look closer. So kind of keep looking. So rather than letting that be, a, yeah, that you dismiss it, you actually engage more and ask more questions and that's that kind of what what's going on here. Um, and you see yeah. the way he yeah. teaches that is itself instructive, the very way he says that people won't forget. Right. Um, if you can model that as a teacher, mm-hmm. people will notice it. Even mm-hmm. if you perhaps don't spell out what you're doing, they'll notice it. And, and of course, yeah. it's the same yeah. with with when students ask questions or whatever. You do your best. Always say, "Now, what's the yeah. question? <laughs> what's going on? What's yeah? What's going on here? Yeah, yeah." And I, I do want to ask you a question that might be off topic. I know it might be. It totally is off topic. But I, I and I like that you've been around. You know, doing music, doing theology and music for I don't know many many years. I don't want to say your age. I don't even know your age, but it's been many years as we late late thirties late. Late thirties, yeah, like just like me, and and you know, I've, I've, I'm a rock guitar player, singer. Uh, yeah, I'm a rock drummer, sing, uh, rock singer, and and it's it's always been, you know, ever since I grew up, it's been this discussion of, you know, is this music Christian? Is this not Christian? What are you talking about? Are you talking about Jesus? And and given that you are a classic musician, and at least in my tradition, there's never been an issue of, you know, are you a Christian musician? Are you a secular musician? What do you sing? Because you don't play or sing lyrics, right? So how has, that, how has that conversation of Christian music, not Christian music, impacted you, given that you're a, a pianist and a classic musician? Uh, and what do you think about that old uh, tale in discussion? That's an enormous one. I mean, first of all, in the classical tradition, remember, a vast amount of it is vocal. A lot of it will have lyrics. I mean, operas and auditorios, lots of sacred music and whatever. So we do, we do think very much about lyrics and are the lyrics, you know, Christian or not Christian or whatever. So we do think about all those things. Right, well, 100 issues there. The way I put it as far as the music is concerned, mm-hmm. what I say over and over again, it's again you've got to ask what's going on here. Um, music always comes in a context and that context will radically affect radically affect the way people perceive that music what it does to them what doesn't do to them what does for them doesn't do for them so the, the and the, the context is always complex uh, memories associations we have for music so that when we hear a particular set of sounds, we're not mm-hmm. just hearing it as raw data. We're, pro- we're processing it. We're processing it 
in a social and cultural context. Not to mention yeah. a very specific context, whether it's a, context, uh, a concert or I've got headphones, I'm at home, or mm-hmm. I'm on a jog or whatever it is. So it's very hard to say simply, hear these sounds, they're evil or they're good or something. Things mm-hmm. are just really that simple. To give an example, you say in my own tradition, um, Wagner, uh, Richard Wagner, um, uh, operatic composer of the 19th century. Uh, some people, because he was picked up by Nietzsche and then later the Nazis, people think, hey, there's evil music here, you know, that the sounds themselves yeah. are bad in some way. Mm-hmm. And I'm often asked about that, you know, is, is Wagner bad for you sort of stuff? Well, it's very hard to say. If, if it's just the sounds alone... I would say that some of it is so emotionally powerful. It's mm-hmm. almost, he's got you by the throat, I feel, and he's yeah. often saying, you will feel this way. <laughs> and you will feel this way for the next 20 minutes, and I'm not going to let you off the hook. And there are times I feel very mm-hmm. manipulated, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, I would say that. <laughs> but for a lot of the time, take those sounds. Each, hey, fantastic tunes, great orchestration, beautifully formed. He, the guys are genius. Now... Suppose you take that same music, though, and you put it in the context that he wanted in his opera house with the lights off and the orchestra not in view so there's no distractions and the drama on stage. Mm-hmm. And then you take that drama with all its, um, at the very least, sub-Christian, some would say anti-Christian uh, connotations um, and huge amount of anti-Semitism thrown in as well, and you experience it in the midst of the kind of Wagner cult in Bayreuth, which mm-hmm. is the well. I would say now things things are a little bit different. This is this is this is tricky. I would have problems with all that. So mm-hmm. a huge amount will depend on context. That's the point. The second thing that I think is the other side of that is is context everything? No, I think there's some kinds of music that more readily lend themselves to good use than others. Mm-hmm. And similarly, some kinds of music, which perhaps through a very crude rhythm or a crude appeal to the senses, can be much more easily used for manipulative purposes than other kinds of music. Mm. Mm-hmm. So now, it's very hard to draw lines there sometimes, but I, I, mm-hmm. I think most of us do it, uh, um, do at times. What we can't do, though, is just point to this and say that's uh, that's sinless, perfect Christian music, which, if you play it, will bring someone to the Lord on the one side yeah. and on the other side, totally evil and sinful music. I'm a great fan of Bach. Um, he's by far the most influential Western musician across every genre of music. Um, and I do believe his his the sounds of the, the sounds beautifully. Uh, encapsulate uh, a Christian a Christian vision of creation. Actually, I've written about that. Um, mm, I think mm. that's arguable. Now, that's, if some people debate with me, okay. I'm not saying if you just play Bach, someone's instantly going to get it all. Of course, a lot will depend on context. But actually, those sounds are pretty darn good <laughs> from almost <laughs> any perspective, and especially when he puts Christian words to them as well. Now, in your field, I'm sure in, in the in the rock music world, uh, not least in the drumming world. You know, some will be very suspicious about what's going on there. Um, and you've just got to say, with each context, what's going on? How is this music being used? What kind of effect is it happening? Mm-hmm. Is, is it yeah. is, is going on here? We all know at times with 
almost any kind of times when we've felt manipulated? I mean, have you felt that yourself? Or have you been sometimes frightened at the amount of power you have as a musician? Because mm. we ought yeah. to. Because we ought to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Music is very, very yeah, yeah. powerful. And and whether it's rock or jazz or hip-hop or whatever it is, uh, or Wagner or Beethoven or whatever, it, you know, we can all use music to manipulate very mm-hmm. easily. Very mm-hmm. easily. And some music lends itself to that very quickly mm. and mm-hmm. and um so i spend a lot of my time convincing people about the wonders of the art i think we need to be aware of the dangers as well yeah yeah Th- thinking about that kind of the the ability and the power that you have to create a space or an emotional response uh, can you talk a little bit about joy in in worship and sort of and kind of the mm. kind of yeah just talk to us about joy in worship and whether uh, yeah that. That's a great topic. <laughs> I came to faith in the, in a kind of mixed ecclesiastical setting of uh, very high Anglo-Catholic, Anglican, and Scottish Presbyterian. And I, 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 the theology of the Scottish Presbyterians is wonderful. The, the worship, boy, it was a serious business. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, you know, occasionally there would be a rousing hymn and people's hands would start just to kind of shift upwards. Uh, then they'd quickly remember where they were and they'd slam down uh, by their sides again in case they got too enthusiastic. It was very, it was very, very funny um, to be part of that and to watch. So I, I, I know about this. Now, as far as joy is concerned, then, the key thing is, yes, of course, there should be ecstatic joy as part of worship, as part uh-huh. of worship. But it's not the only colour in the spectrum. Mm. And that's of course, I mean, let's be said, of course, deep down, there's always joy. Deep down, there's a, a conference. But if we're talking yeah. about the kind of overt, exuberant joy, mm-hmm. um, that's definitely one of the colours on the spectrum. And music uh, is fantastic for, for helping us sense that mm-hmm. and for releasing that kind of ecstatic expression of joy in God. And God mm. wants that. Now, the problem is, the problem with any kind of emotional expression of worship, that it gets detached from its object so that we start feeling joyful about being joyful, so that we forget mm-hmm. it's that God is the object of joy and what God has done for us in Christ is the source of all joy and the focus of all joy. C.S. Lewis had a lovely thing, didn't he, when he talked about if you want to make someone joyful in literature, don't talk about joy. Give them something to be joyful about. About, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is lovely. And mm-hmm. worship ought to have that kind, that kind of, let's call it, objective focus, mm. which draws in our subjectivity and draws in everything that we are. Mm. Yeah, and I heard you talked against people saying that or inferring that joy is sort of a shallow feeling. There's not, you know, a depth of, there's no depth in, in joy. It's just, just you know, almost animal, just bodily. It, it doesn't, you know, represent anything. It's just, you know, you're happy. Now let's go, and then now let's talk about and, and feel serious thing, you know, like lament. And I hope I've got the, the right point here. Um, let me come at the same thing from another point of view. I think we have to be very careful of saying that, that misery is more profound than joy. Mm-hmm. And there is mm-hmm. a kind of fashionable... Mm-hmm. How can I put it? 
there's a fashionable, fashionable sensibility around sometimes I find in Christian circles who are so reacting against triumphalism, as they might yeah. put it, mm-hmm. that now we're going to wallow in lament for its own sake. As it were. Yes. We're, we're mm-hmm. never going to smile because if we do that, we must be superficial. Right. Uh, for the yes. Christian, misery, joy is always profounder than misery. Hard as that mm-hmm. is to believe some. Why? Because of what I've just said, that it has dug deep. You know, yeah. it, 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 it arises from knowing that God has dealt with the very worst, including our misery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So joy, probably speaking, doesn't in any way diminish or paper over mm. the, the awful reality of inexplicable evil and misery and death. Mm-hmm indeed racism or whatever not at all mm, not mm. at all and it mm. might some in some circles I'm, I'm reluctant to use the word joy for that reason because i think it'll say ah yes you're just ignoring the worst you know and then of course the, yeah. the objections to yeah. christian faith very exactly. often that it's escapist that you're just running away from the dreadful things in the world and so forth no 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 not at all not if not if we're mm. christian but mm-hmm. but i think the the other side we need to be very careful not to think that by by looking grim the whole time and nodding wisely, we're somehow being more mm-hmm. profound mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. the profound joy you will see on the face of many of our suffering Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Right. My, uh, my daughter was in Nepal not so long ago in a medical mission station, and she was speaking to, to people in the most abject of circumstances, most horrendous stories. Um, mm. And she said they simply shone with the joy, these were Christians, who shone with the joy mm. of the gospel. And you see, now that, that's profound. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get mm-hmm. profounder than that. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't get profounder than that. Right. Hard as yeah. that is, of course, to believe, hard as it is to practice, I'm not saying it's an easy thing, but, yeah. it's, but when you've spotted it in someone, you'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and there's nothing else in the world like it. Um, you know, it'll it'll open mm-hmm. people's eyes and hearts. Oh God, I couldn't agree more, man. Doctor Begby, it's been a delight, a friggin' privilege Thank you. for us, anyway. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Very kind. You haven't you haven't disagreed with anything properly. I mean, you... no, not really. I mean, how can we? Pretty good. good. Well, I was going to say, we're, we're the three of us are so wise, aren't we? Isn't that good to know? <laughs> And just all right. We're just all correct. Isn't the Lord lucky to have us working for him? <laughs> <laughs> if only the rest of the world thought like us. Exactly. It'd be it'd so be, much happier. Right. Wouldn't it be much happier? Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Your questions have been fantastic. It's for us. I felt I've talked rather too much, but it's been a delight. No, it's been no, wonderful it to have you. Thank you so much you. for your time. It's been Great. Thank you. Lovely. Thank, Thank you, you, Dr. Begby. Thanks for listening to the Regent College podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is rgnt.net.